but it's like if, if you have a lot of voses and you are irrigating, feeding, irrigating the first vose, the gray water is percolating inside the first one and is starting to be polluted. Then is collected at the bottom and is entering in a second phase, pose. And then in this way, with different steps, you are treating the gray water and the, at the very, very final end, you will have essentially clean water. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast and the Surviving Hard Times Podcast. I have Anacleto Rizzo. He's a hydraulic civil engineer. And we're going to talk about his work in uh, sustainable water projects. So, Anacleto, uh, thank you for coming. Thank you, Richard, for inviting me. Yeah, tell me a bit about your background and how you ended up working in the environmental field that you're in. Yes. So, essentially, my background is a master's degree in engineering, in civil and hydraulic engineering. Then I had a PhD in environmental engineering, in which I started instead to study a little bit more natural processes in environment. And so after this period, I had some collaboration with the university in Europe and I met this now my colleague that is Fabio Masi, that is quite uh, known in our field and received this offer to come to work in Florence for Iridra. That is maybe we will talk about later. And so essentially in the last uh, eight years, I worked here in Iridra as designer of nature-based solution, essentially. So what, what kind of projects are you working on right now specifically? Essentially, in Iridra, we work on NBS, so a nature-based solution for sustainable water management. And that is quite broad approach. Usually, we work about water pollution control, but also urban drainage or climate change adaptation. So essentially, this is what we are working. And we work both in design, so engineering, detail design and construction supervision. But I've been also invited here because I, we are also partner of several research and development projects financed by EU, the Horizon uh, Europe project, the Horizon 2020 project. And in one of these nice we have been involved as partner and so essentially we we do both detailed design i and personally i'm involved both in detailed design and also in r&d so research and development all right so what are one of your projects that specifically you're interested in that you want to talk about yeah so maybe maybe we can we can go a little bit just to clarify a little bit better what we intend as nature based solution no because it's quite broad definition similar to green blue infrastructure but uh, uh, maybe talking about a little bit more on nice project it it will be more clear for instance in the nice project we are studying together also with university uh, the use of green walls of uh, living walls especially that is a well let me say well-known technology for green building so greening a wall in a building is quite well known 
But the additional step that we want to, we, we are trying to, to propose and to do in NICE is to use this wall also for treating and reusing the water, especially what is called the gray water. So all the water that are coming outside our house, except the one from toilet. So wash basin, showers, kitchen that are a little bit less polluted and they can, the idea is to treat this gray water on the wall and to collect this water at the end of the wall and to reuse it for not potable reuses. For instance, in NICE, we are starting to reuse for uh, uh, external irrigation, maybe for uh, increasing the green in a city, also for heat island effort. But it can, after a disinfection, they can also be used inside the building uh, for not potable reuse, for instance, uh, toilet flushing. So. We have a lot of water that we are using that we don't drink. And the idea is that it's not so reasonable to use this water, potable water for not potable use. So what's involved in cleaning gray water? What are some of the materials used or methods? Yeah. So essentially the idea, especially in the green walls, that it's quite innovative. The use of green wall for treating gray water is started only in 2016. We, our company together, other uh, research institutes uh, started to study it. And so in this case, we talk, we, we prefer to, to treat only light gray water. It means wash basin. And this means, for instance, that if you can imagine your wash basin in your bathroom, the pipe outside of your wash basin is not entering in a single pipe outside the building that is collecting everything, is collecting also what is coming outside from the toilet, but is separated. So essentially you try to have two separated pipe outside your building. Essentially you are trying to use as what we do, for instance, for waste is no, the different collection of waste to facilitate the reuse. The same idea is to, for the water, for in circular cities, is to try to separate since, since the beginning. So you have to imagine that you have two pipe that is coming outside your building. It go down at a certain moment, they are entering in a sort of pretreatment to remove, for instance, uh, hair or oil, greases or something like that. And then you pump it back to the wall that is finishing to treat the other pollutant, like for instance, surfactants or other kind of pollutant that we can have in our, in when we wash our hands, for instance. But essentially, if you can imagine how much dirt it could be a water that is coming from a, a wash basin, just washing your hand, you can imagine that it's quite easy to be treated. And so this water is percolating inside the wall, usually at least three, three different rows. And at the end of the wall is collected in a separated tank. And from this tank, you are again deciding when to, where to use it after disinfection, because you could have some health issues. And so essentially you remove all the main pollutant in the NBS, in the green wall, and you disinfect the water and then it's able to be reused, not for drinking, but for, for many other reuses. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. 
please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. What do you mean it's percolating in the wall? So all the um, the treatment occurs like inside the wall, hidden from view, but still in the house? Yes, exactly. So a wall, there are some experience also of MBS indoor, but here we are talking about outdoor. So you have to imagine a wall, the external wall of your building that is full, full of green. If you look uh, green walls on Google, you can find several examples. But it's like if you have a lot of bosses, I hope to have pronounced it well, and you are irrigating, feeding, irrigating the first bose, the gray water is percolating inside the first one and is starting to be polluted. Then is collected at the bottom and is entering in a second vase, bose. And then in this way, with different steps, you are treating the gray water and the, at the very, very final end, you will have essentially clean water, pot. pot okay, I see. I see. I see. I see. Yeah, yeah. I see. So what? What about why is? Uh, I know maybe it's disgusting, but why is toilet water so much harder to clean? Why is it called, I guess, black water instead of gray water? This is a nice question because actually, when uh, if we started to talk wastewater, there is a mean. You know, essentially the the mean is that we have the feces and urine that is also full of pathogens. And so the main aim of calling, of collecting the wastewater and to bring away as fast as possible from our cities was for health issues. Because in the industrial development, if I remember well, in the UK, they observed that the very first quarter uh, served by sewer, sewer network they they were the one less affected by, for instance, uh, some health issues like uh, something like uh, cholera or something like that. No, so we started to don't want to to have nothing to do with wastewater for health issues, but we we forget that uh, apart the health issues, the nature is not you for nature nothing is a waste. Indeed, in the in our feces and our urine, there are the majority of carbon and fertilizer that in this moment are collected all together, uh, brought to a wastewater treatment plant and treated to be discharged according to the environment. No, but on the other side, from the point of view of the circular cities, we should start to talk about resource water rather than wastewater. Because if we know how to deal with it, so not affecting um, health issues with citizens, so they have to manage properly. But these, in our feces and in, in our urine, there are the majority, essentially more or less the same amount of fertilizer that we could need to grow food for each for us. So essentially, if we would be able to close the loops of the other part of not the gray water, the black water, we would be able to have also some visions like urban farms, other kind of MBS, no? The zero meter production of food or something like that. 
So I, I can see a benefit, even if you separate the gray water from the wastewater of a house and the wastewater goes on as normal, but the gray water is kept and recycled, how much of a re- reduction in the total you know, wastewater output will a house have by doing this? Yes. Now we were talking about even more to reuse also the black water. But if we would be able to retrofit our building, separated, separating gray water from black water, roughly... Grey water is something between 50 to 70% of the our water uses is, is really a lot. So uh, even, even with light grey water, so avoiding the kitchen that, era, that are a little bit more difficult to be treated, they can be treated, for instance, in wetland on ground-based NBS on a wall. It could be a little bit more difficult, but even if we consider only grey water, light grey water from wash basin, we are around 30% of our water consumption per day. And so treating a recovery 30%, 50%, 70% of our water consumption per day has many benefits because you are uh, reusing this water. And so you are reducing the water consumption per day, per person. And so less potable water to be used, less potabilization, less water to be pumped from centralized potabilization uh, stay, um, plant to our houses because we always, we are used to open our uh, tap water and it seems magical, no? But no one is really aware from which distance we are having our water in our houses. So it's, it's crazy. So are we saving 30% of the output or are we saving 70% of the output? I wasn't clear what you said. Uh, it depends which kind of gray water you are collecting. If you collect all the gray water, wash basin, showers, laundry, kitchen, you can reach up to 70%. If you go back instead only, for instance, shower and wash basin, you go back around 30%. It depends which kind of gray water you are separating from your houses. Okay, but even if you didn't go crazy and get every drop, you could probably do at least 50% reduction without a problem, right? Yeah, yeah. And if you couple also with, for instance, water-saving devices, uh, it's quite easy to reach uh, at least 30-50% of uh, reduction in water reuse. Then, of course, it's water that if you can recover from 30-50% to 50% of the gray water. Then if you decide to reuse back in, the, in your houses, for instance, for toilet flushing, you are saving a certain amount of water. But in general, you are a waste, 30%, 50% of what we are considering as a waste. So wastewater can be recovered for the city in general. And also the other good point is that you are not discharging to the sewer. So this means that this wastewater is not going to be produced and is not going to wastewater treatment plant, and it is not going to be spending energy for treating, for instance. I can see it would be significant savings by doing this. That's really good. Um, now, for the treatment devices themselves, what do they look like? What are some of the, the things that are used to treat gray water? Essentially, we, we started from the nicest one, so green wall are quite nice also to treat gray water. But actually, we have we have several options. So the treatment and reuse of gray water has been known since 20 years, more or less. And as almost any any solution, you can go for gray solution or for green solution. When I talk about gray solution in this case, I mean that you have to imagine 
to have a sort of additional service in your house, like you have oven, you have the laundry, and you can have something very similar in space that is also treating the reusing the gray water. In this case, you are using uh, membrane or uh, SBR, so technological solution that are able to minimize the, the size of the treatment stage you can put, for instance, in, in your house. And on the other side, you are spending uh, energy for the treatment. While the other, the other option, the green one, is to use the so-called nature-based solution, NBS. NBS, you need a little more space for, for doing the same treatment process, but you are not spending energy for treating the water. So this is true for gray water, but also for black water. It's, it's the same concept. So if you have enough space, you can get rid from using energy of, conven of conventional technological solution, and you can use nature to do this. Nature needs space. So the space you can find, for instance, on ground. And in this case, we can talk about uh, constructed wetland, treatment wetland for treating and reusing gray water. In this case, you need space on the ground. So maybe you can integrate this solution in your garden or in a parking area of different kind of uh, houses. But this is not so easy because the usually in very densely populated area, uh, the space is quite limited. And this is why we, we go back to NICE. So the idea that we need surface to treat in nature by nature. And this surface can be found on the building and can be green building solution. So it could be green walls, but also green roof, for instance. In this case, of course, you have some pumping because you have to collect and pump back the water, but you are not having uh, the direct consumption for treating the water. It, it really depends on the contest. It's, it, it really tailor-made. It, it, this, this doesn't mean that you have a single solution that it's always the best one. It really depends on the contest. And then um, when you reuse gray water, what are some of the best ways to reuse it? Like fertilized crops? What are, what are the best ways, again, to reuse it? Um, you can have different kind of reuse, essentially. And they can be divided in indoor, or outdoor. When we talk about indoor, essentially it means uh, um, uh, recharging for toilet flushing, no? The the toilet flushing tank. That is quite huge con water consumption. If you think that now they are starting to be optimized, but uh, old-fashioned um, toilet flush use something between ten liter any time that you are flushing your toilet. So it's a lot of water potable water that you could have drink and you are using just for flushing your toilet, that is crazy. Or the other option is to reuse outside, outdoor. And in outdoor reuse, you can reuse for irrigation. And this is very well connected in circular cities and climate change adaptation related to the fact that we are aiming for greening our cities again, but we don't have the water for green the cities as we are expecting. So maybe gray water, it could be one of the options to increase the green of our cities. Or other possible reuse are, for instance, cleaning of out outdoor floor. It's a possibility. Essentially, this one. So irrigation and cleaning devices. If it could be used also for... Uh, uh, recovering the fire uh, control service, for instance. 
any kind well, of reuse that is even, not requiring potable water. Sorry, Richard. Well, it's okay. But even if, you know, if you got a small town to do this for all the houses, you'd save a ton of water. Again, even if you get to like 30% or even 50%, I mean, that's a lot. That would, that would really reduce the amount of water needed big time. Yes. Are there, are there any pilot programs in certain towns or cities where they're trying to do this for every property? Uh, no, this is a discussion. Sometimes it, it's not so... Um, what is happening is that sometimes we have some experience in Italy, for instance, in which uh, some city in the south are starting to ask any times that you are uh, building a new house to have uh, a system separate, separating the grey water and having uh, some treatment stage for reuse. This is starting to be asked, especially in the droughts area. And there's a level of um, a policy approach, a law approach, based on single municipality. So this is starting to be, at least I've seen some of these regulation. Yeah, no, that's, I can, I can see, even, just, even if you don't do anything else, but you just set up the houses so that the water is separated, then later on, you can do more that's already set up to do that. I don't know if anyone's tried this, but on a house that has this, how much does it cost to put in this system and what's the payback period? Has that been estimated? This is the big point. I mean, it's funny to know, for instance, that in Europe, uh, the country that is a little bit more advanced in uh, this kind of systems, either uh, nature-based or uh, technological, is Germany. And if you think about Germany, a country that is having problem of droughts, it seems quite strange. Uh, so the main driver to make it real essentially is a policy decision that is related to the cost of water. If the cost of water is starting to be around 3, 4 euro per cubic meter, these solutions are starting to have a reasonable payback period. Otherwise, if they, as it happened, as it is happening, for instance, in some part of Italy, but even in other countries in Europe, you have policy, let me say policy based water tariffs. I mean, uh, water is a right. And so you need to keep low the price of the water to give access to the water to anyone. That is a fundamental right. But in this case, the water is starting to be so cheap. And I mean something around one euro per cubic, yeah, one euro per cubic meter. In this case, the payback period is starting to be higher and not reliable. And this is also a reason why this kind of solution is not getting so important in the market. They are starting to be considered, for instance, for big uh, touristic facilities that is starting to have a different scale of uh, uh, payback period in comparison to a single house. When the approximate payback period, even with the subsidies on water. Uh, when the when I mean reliable, I mean less around four to six to seven. It means that uh, with very cheap cost of the water, you are you are higher than seven here. And um, okay. but it's not well, a true it's not a true calculation. Like you know, the city of whatever. I'm just making this up. The city of Florence in Italy. If they're subsidizing the water to the outside observer, it looks like it's a long payback period. But to the city, it's a much shorter payback period because they're subsidizing it. So yes. if the city requires it, why don't they use the math that actually affects the city to do it instead of what the customer pays? Because then it would be a lot more 
it would make a lot more sense. And the city, you know, planners would say, oh, you know, to the customer, it's a nine-year payback, but to us, it's a three-year payback. So let's make everyone do it. You know? uh, yes, this is a point. Actually, we in our talk now about gray water, we still didn't touch uh, the main barrier, in my perspective. That is, on, on one side is the inertia, so it's new, and so no reason to do something different than the past. But actually, the real barrier is the fact that, uh, in comparison, grey water is one of the three pillars of sustainable water management. Uh, that are sa water saving, reuse, uh, collection, uh, harvesting, and reuse of storm water, of rainwater. And the third pillar is gray water. Of these three, gray water is the most, diffi most difficult to be implemented because it's easy to imagine how difficult it could be to retrofit an existing building in which the gray water is not already separated. No? And this is also making difficult to plan for it because how a city could plan to oblige any single, uh, several building to separate gray water from an existing building. It, you need some, it's nice to have project like NICE because we are experienced many different post cases in which you have to try to separate from an existing building the gray water. And you could have different solution, but not being so simple is also making more difficult to plan it. In a typical building where it's not separated, where do the two sources of water do they meet at one point or at multiple points in the system? And what makes it hard or easy to separate them? Yeah, uh, it depends on the building. For instance, in NICE, we were uh, studying two cases for retrofitting. One is an hostel and another one is uh, a multicultural center. Old building in both cases. But in the hostel, we we recovered the, the, the drawings of the building and we have seen that the bathroom so black water have been connect, has been connected to the wash basin, the shower of the room of the hostel, vertically on the outside the room. In this case, the retrofitting would be easier because it's enough to, let me say, break the, the wall. Yeah, and Akleto, I'm sorry, I lost you for the last 10 seconds. Would you mind repeating that answer, please? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I was, um, it's funny because we were trying to find a place to, um, install a demo site of Greenwall in Turin, in the municipality of Turin within the NICE project. And we had two different buildings, both public. One is an hostel and one is a multicultural center. And in the two cases, the separation of the gray water was completely different because in the hostel, we have been able to, that were, that were a recent restoration in the last 10 years. So we were able to find the drawings of how exactly the pipe have been connected inside the building. And we have seen that uh, the bathroom, the black water is connected to the gray water pipe uh, vertically on the external wall of the building, not inside the bathroom. This means that to, to do minimal retrofitting, it would be enough to break the wall outside and to install a separated pipe. Can you imagine a pipe to, uh, close to the one for the rainwater, for instance? You have two pipes outside, not so difficult. While instead in the multicultural center, 
we didn't have this information. And so essentially in this case, the retrofitting, at least for the wash basin, should be different. We really have to go down to the wash basin and with a separated pipe attached to the wall of the bathroom, go outside with the pipe. So, and essentially recreating externally because otherwise, otherwise you have to uh, reconstruct from scratch, essentially the bathroom. You are having this outside pipe that is taking the, wa the water from the wash basin and is going outside the building. So two different, essentially the same idea. I want to reuse gray water, but in two different conditions, two buildings, two different options to try to separate gray water in an existing building. I hope to have been yeah, clear enough. a lot more sense, yeah. Are there, are there any cities that are mandating any new construction or any major renovations that the, um, you know, the gray and the black water is separated? Yes, because actually in this case, a good driver uh, is starting to be, uh, for instance, the environmental labels. For instance, I'm aware of the weed, W-E-E-D, if I remember well. Um, in this environmental label, you get point, you have to reach a minimum score to have the label. And you get point according to different um, environmental uh, solution that you are using your building. And you have a lot of stuff. You have energy, you have all the aspect of em environment. But in terms of water, uh, these labels are starting, these labels are starting to ask to giving prices also for gray water separation. This means that if you are constructing from scratch a building, you and you are in a place that is not asking you to separate gray water from black water. You have also this driver. You have the driver of a, a collabel or we not not with with this. Maybe we have to cancel is lead L E E D lead certificate is asking for um, gray water separation. Yeah, I've heard of the lead standards. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, very interesting. I know you're working on a lot of other projects, and if it's right, I'd like to have you back on the podcast at some point. But for now, I think this is a good, uh, you know, first foray into the work you do. So, how can people follow up and find out more about you and your work? Where can they go? Um, essentially, they can follow the social media pages of both of Iridra mainly, and we have uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, and uh, Instagram. And there is also my personal account on LinkedIn that I used to be quite active on, and I used to update what we are doing on it. So you can find me on LinkedIn. And Eridra is spelled I-R-I-D-R-A, eridra.com, yes. is that right? Yep, exactly. Okay, and your name is A-N-A-C-L-E-T-O, Anacleto and Rizzo, R-I-Z-Z-O. Is that right? Yep. Okay. I just want to make sure people can find you, you know, because you have a little bit of an accent, but it's okay. So thank you, thank Anacleto, you for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Richard, for hosting me. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. 
This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.